There's been a number of challenges to children's well-being over the past few years. The pandemic, of course, and for many kids in the Upper North Island at the moment, dealing with the aftermath of flooding and the cyclone. So what is well-being and how can we assure, ensure kids are doing OK and are still able to learn, even through life's challenges? Dr Jean Annan is an educational psychologist and has worked as a university lecturer, researcher and a teacher. Her new book is Seven Dimensions, Children's Emotional Wellbeing, which is a simple framework for adults to make sense of all the information that's out there about young people's thoughts and feelings. She is in our Tamaki Makaurau Auckland studio. Denakwe, welcome Jean. What do know, Catherine? So explain what the sort of Kaupapa is here, why you wanted to write a book this way about these things. Okay. Um, well, I, I've written this book really um, because of the, the many challenges that uh, young people are facing at, at, at the moment. Um, uh, children's well-being, which sort of can loosely be defined as that, that balance between the skills and resources, you know, the supports they bring and the challenges and the demands on them um, and and whether uh, they can cope with those. But uh, it, we, we are facing a lot of changes in the world, a lot of uncertainty, um, and there's been an, um, a, a tremendous increase in children reporting um, mental health um, issues and anxieties, dep- depression. Since uh, since about 2012, it really um, it, it really escalated. Um, and at the moment, of course, we have we have um, you know in, in our own country we've had COVID, we've had we've got floods at the moment, and um, and and children are generally feeling a little bit at sea. Well, there's two things. There's the incoming information, which is now just just, just relentless, right? Yeah. And second, yeah. um, there is the um, there's the reality of 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 what they are um, experiencing, and the fact that we have had a lot of of natural disasters in particular. Yes. Uh, yes. And and so much talk about climate change. So, mm. I suppose we think back to other times where generations of children have gone through incredible experiences and we can think I don't know I could think back to World War Two or something exactly. as obvious as that mm. and some will fare well and, and and be robust and come through and and others not so but it is part of the human experience including unfortunately for young people so yes. come to talk to me about well-being and what it is and I'm sure people could be all over the internet and buying all sorts of books yeah. <laughs> but but if we come back to the really thorough research that has been mm-hmm. done on the essential elements of a child's well-being, what can you tell us? Sure. So, so what I've identified in my book are seven dimensions of children's emotional well-being, um, and it probably isn't restricted to children only. But, but, but they are. The, but it allows us to focus on seven critical elements. Um, there, there is so much information on the internet about children's well-being. Um, Recently, recently, I I googled uh, children's well-being, and I got one billion and seventy seventy million hits. So, 
you know, it's 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 a sea of information, and how how do people know which which bits which bits are important, um, which are not? What is good information? What's not good information? And more uh, more importantly, what is relevant um, to my to to the situation for my child? So when we come to your approach, and we're going to get to the seven dimensions sure, framework, yes. does it come from? Um, uh, the research and, and studies that have been have been gleaned over a, over a period of time. Absolutely. Um, okay. yes. and, and that's interesting too because straight off the bat, has that come through a typically Western lens um, or is it able to be established almost, you know, established scientifically and then perhaps applied differently in different contexts? How do we agree on, on, on what established facts are? Exactly. I mean... Th- well-being, of course, is a subjective state, so it is going to be experienced differently by different people, um, you know, in different places and different parts of the world. Uh, the research I've drawn on has been, it's, it's really from many places in the world, from, um, yes, a lot of it Western research, because that the majority of the research is, is Western research, but I've also tried to find um, research from various indigenous populations in um, a, across across the world, uh, mainly as an illustration um, of how a, a particular de- dimension of a um, of a uh, you know a child's well-being is expressed and experienced. Okay. Well, yeah. let's begin working through. First, can okay. you define it? How do you define what well-being is? Well, well-being is a, a, a subjective, a balanced state between a, a, a child's um, resources, that is the skills and the knowledge that they bring to any situation, and the supports they have around them, so that would be family and that would be school or whatever it is that it, that supports them. And then there are the demands on their life. And, and well-being occurs when a child is, I guess we could call resilient or um, or sufficiently settled so that they... they they can think clearly and they can participate in life. And perhaps also just thinking of the current upsets to education and, and, and other things as well. Come back from a from an area of concern and anxiety to, to a place of being feeling safe and, 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 mm-hmm. and able to function, right? It's a sure. um, we're all gonna feel things, we're gonna feel emotions. The question is we whether you cycle back to a to a good safe, um, healthy state. That's right, yeah. Can we work through your framework then, please? Okay, so so there are seven seven dimensions of children's emotional well-being. Um, And the first, at the core of the framework, the first dimension is sense of safety. And we, all of us, no matter how old we are, we all we all look to feel safe. It's the question we ask ourselves the minute we're born, are we safe? And we keep asking that question for the rest of our lives. Um, the second dimension is is closely aligned with this and, and interdependent with that first, that first dimension, and that is the dimension of alliance. And alliance means all of those relationships that we have in our lives it means having 
knowing we have somebody at our side. Not always on our side, because you know sometimes as parents we need to 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 guide our children here and there. But but it means having somebody that feeling of having somebody at our side, and we're talking about attachments and friendships here, and those are critical. Those those relationships are critical to sense of safety. Um, also, we need to have. We need the majority of our emotions need to be positive. Doesn't mean it's 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 it doesn't mean that all emotions um, are positive and, and and negative emotions do play a role in our life. But we need to have we need to experience pleasure, repeated positive experience. Really, we need to ex- experience pleasure um, uh, for the majority of our time. Uh, the next, the next dimension, is consistency, and that is really about uh, it's about us discerning the patterns of interaction around us. It's it and certain uh, uh, consistency um, in our our immediate environments um, allows us to predict what will happen next. So when th- something's happen- happening, we can be confident we know what is happening next. So we need routines. We need to be able to depend on people. Uh, we need to know that our actions will be you know, met with a positive response if we do this, this and this. This is particularly important for children, isn't it? Absolutely it is. And it's, it's, so you have your consistency within... Um, your immediate settings, say, of the home environment. But we also need to ensure a degree of consistency across our settings. And this is, this is for instance, where, um, well, where culture is very important and, and familiar cultural practice is important when we step outside of our communities and, or outside of our, our, our whānau, really, because we have... We have particular ways of doing things, our own habitus. We we have, um, and we and we we can we look for certain patterns. Now, if if we go to school and the the culture of the school environment does not align with our familiar patterns, that can be very stressful. Um, our 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 minds don't function optimally, um, and school can become quite a negative. Um, experience in which we we don't learn well. Um, So there needs to be a good overlap of cultural practice between what happens in the home and what happens at school. And and, I say overlap rather than just replication because um, children like to have a little bit of difference uh, because that that opens their mind, um, turns their brain on and gets some learning but definitely a good overlap, sufficient so that they can understand the interaction. It's not an incongruence, right? That's the, no, yeah, that's okay. exactly right. Okay. Yeah. So where are we up to? The, um, oh, we're up to four, sorry. That's we're all right. the, Optimal the disequilibrium is number five. Optimal disequilibrium, and I almost touched on it in the, in the, last, in the last one. This is, if we, uh, if we want our brains to learn, we have to be always learning something new. 
Um, if we just do what we what we're familiar with, we use our same neural pathways, and we're just we're just learning. We're not learning anything. So, it a child's experience um, needs to be uh, and is slightly unsettled, so that it occasions a a, um, a new learning, but not so not. Not um, they need to be not so unsettled as to overwhelm them and prevent them from learning. Because what we know is that if if they are overwhelmed, then the our our brain's not working properly. We're really in a, a survival mode rather than opening our our brains to cognitive learning. Um, so that that optimal disequilibrium is 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 an important. Aspect, just the um, right amount of challenge, yeah. Just and, the right amount. Okay. Self narratives and belonging are our last two. Okay. So self narratives. That is the you know who I am. It's a story I have in myself. We all live our lives in the stories we have, and we all act consistently with them. And the last one is um, meaning. Really, that meaning is um, is our purpose in life. Our um, our contribution we make it's our identity how do we, who are we in the world not just who are we per se but how how do we fit in this world or beyond you know what is our purpose how do we connect um, and of course this is one of the reasons that um, the floods covid um, and and events like uh, such as that they what they do is they hit very hard at the most critical elements. And the most critical elements are sense of safety and meaning. And what happens is those things just um, just are thrown up in the air. Children feel unsafe. They, everything that made allowed them to make sense of the world before has just um, erupted. So they're quite at sea. That said, do these other factors, if they're done well, provide a protective buffer? If... They absolutely do. Okay. Sense of safety and sense of meaning are really outcomes of the experience in those the, the, the dimensions two to six in between or two to five. So in terms of addressing any... Um, uh, you know, any... To supporting children, the energy goes into those those dimensions between safety and meaning. And the final one is belonging, which is... Um, oh, yes, that's that's part of the meaning. And we should is. say all of this applies beyond the parent-child relationship. This is all, obviously, teachers, it's all other... All, 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 all who care for and involved in the child's life, right? That's yeah. right. And the book that I've written, I've written for teachers. I mean, it, it addresses teachers, psychologists, counsellors, coaches, people who work with the education of, of young people. But the principles involved are, are just as a appropriate for the role of parenting. I've even had teenagers read this book. So I suppose this is the optimal. This is what, what we're doing and supporting and nurturing and bringing mm-hmm. forth. But as we are seeing at the moment, things go wrong. Things yeah. go wrong when family situations are not ideal, right? Yeah. Things go wrong where children experience traumatic experiences. Things go wrong when children are bullied. Yeah. And things go wrong when natural disasters mean they can't go to school and they've seen their homes 
destroyed and, exactly. the, and, and, and they've seen the stress their parents are under. Exactly, and that the last is an important one. They're not feeling this on their own. They, they're surrounded by people who are also not coping. However, mm. again, if mm. those fundamentals have been present throughout a child's life, are we in a, are we in a good place to help get them back to, um, or, or, or to cope? I mean, that yeah. is the word Absolutely. in these situations. Absolutely. So this, this framework can be used in two ways. One, it can be used in a, uh, you know, where there's an urgent situation or where a child needs particular understanding um, and, and a, a particular support. But it also can be used in a proactive way as a guide to supporting the well-being of all children in schools. Of, of all children in homes um, if the principles are applied to the to the role of parenting and most definitely the chances of 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 children coping um, in a in a in a disastrous situation are going to be better if their well-being is already strong before it happens let's talk about where there are oh, deficits would be the word right and that mm. is true for everyone no one gets yep. to go through life with a perfect set of circumstances no. that's for sure that's true. so let's talk about some of the examples you might give and you've had a very diverse career as we've said you've been a teacher and a researcher and, mm. and a, a, an active educational psychologist mm -hmm. there's one example you give in the book about a little uh, child who was running away from school and what the teachers at his school did to try and curb that behaviour um, so when you are dealing with um, a, a circumstance like that where something's going wrong what, yes. are, what are the ways the understanding of this framework can be applied okay so uh, the, the first thing is always to to establish a sense of safety and and often these behaviors are an indication of um, a, a child not feeling safe even though it might not look like that on the surface um, but I think definitely uh, improve uh, assuring a child of of support and and having somebody at their side and that is unconditionally and that um, that's uh, the, it's the unconditional nat nature of that relationship that is 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 key um, and providing that sense of cer certainty D providing positive experiences and consistent routines and where you know for instance, the cleanup of a flood. You you can't have a consistent routine. Every day will be different from the one before. But helping a child understand and make sense of the changes in routine is is extremely important. What worked so well here were the teachers in this situation. He was running away from school because he did not feel good there, right? Mm. So teachers, any new learning, there was a smile, there was positive be yep. feedback, um, ensuring yep. that schoolwork assigned included uh, opportunities for success, so making sure that that, that that can be achieved. Um, lots of teaching and lots of reminders of calming activities. This was a quite deliberate um, approach and, and program for a very specific situation. Yes. Taking into account those underlying needs of the child. One question's come through that I'll put to you, if you would, to see if we can apply things. Mm -hmm. um, after some advice, Remy, after some advice after m about my eight-year-old girl who has a short fuse and gets frustrated really easily and says she can't stop herself from getting mad quickly, mm. any tools we could try would be appreciated. Mm. Um, I, I think the, the somebody who has a short fuse um, is 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 acting 
often not in a cognitively aware way, but in in a protective or a survival mode. Um, so if if somebody um, and I, I work a lot with eight year olds, I've got I work in private practice and and I have many eight year olds. I can tell you at the moment, and I, I don't I, I can't explain why, but. That, it's the first burst of young adulthood, really, eight. Isn't it? It's a bit of a breakout moment. <laughs> exactly, it is. And I used to work as a psychologist for government agency, and I know that uh, often, you know, requests for support used to come in at about seven, eight years old. So, you know, it's, it's, it's it, and uh, yeah, so it's not unusual. But the very first thing with a with a young person is to to help them to calm, because any no intervention is going to work, or no um, is going is. Um, and, can't take is, it on board. If no, they're, if they're not until you're not, ready yeah. to reason, yeah. your mind needs to come back online. Um, so you need to calm, and there are various calming activities, various bre- um, breathing or. You know, Pinch your walking. finger's another one, I think, isn't it? Pinch uh, your finger that's and thumb. a good one. Mm-hmm. Yes, little things. The more portable they are, the better. You know, the, if there's something that you don't have to, you know, sometimes you can't go for a walk or jump on the spot or play, bounce a ball or whatever. But some movement is very, very helpful. And and once you have once you have um, got a person into a space where you can reason with them more, um, that is when you can um, you can. You can uh, uh, do a bit more work. There's but what remarkable I would insight say, in mm-hmm. that child knowing, you know, being very aware um, that they've got a short fuse, being very aware that she can't stop herself from getting mad quickly. Absolutely. That shows quite some insight, doesn't it? Yeah, it absolutely does. And what you know, often I find that, that young people know that they're, they're doing something and they want to stop. And, 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 but what they do is they put energy into trying to stop something. And the more we try to stop something, the more we're going to do it. So what we need to do is rather than try and stop doing something, we need to to try and do something different. Something else. Yeah, mm. that, and ha- we need an incompatible behaviour with the one we were doing before. Mm. So, so designing that with the child is really important. And that brings me to one other point. It's that... Every child is, dif- is different. So there's two things I would say about using this framework. One is always it, we always must look for s- uh, something positive that the child is doing, some positive supports. We, the last thing we'd want to do is look at every dimension and find negative, a negative story mm. in each one. Jean, that, thank you. Jean, thanks so much. Jean Annan, the book is Seven Dimensions, Children's Emotional Well-Being published by Megan, Mary Egan Publishing.